And all of God's people said, Bless the Lord. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, Robin. Thank you, team. You know, there is a, a song that just about all of us have sung in one time or another, even though you might not be familiar with the lyrics. You probably had some lyrics uh, sounding the same theme. I want to explain this. The theme of this song has been repeated in the Scripture by many of the great men and women of God. So if you've ever sung it to yourself, know that you are in good company. But it is my prayer that after today's message, that you will sing it less, if ever at all. And these guys are going to get upset with me. You're telling people not to sing. Yeah? When you hear the lyrics, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Here goes. Are you ready? I'm not going to sing it. These guys have job security, I can assure you. (laughs) No one loves me, this I know. My adversities tell me so. I feel sorry for myself. Please join me in my self-pity. Which actually reminded me of, of, a, of, a, of a, a story about the mom who was trying to wake up her son to go to church on Sunday morning. And she kept saying, son, get up. You need to go to church. Son, get up. You need to go to church. And um, he just stayed in bed. Finally, he said to his mom, he said, well, I'm not going to church. Uh, People don't like me there. As a matter of fact, people hate me. She said, no, that is not true. It's your imagination. Then he said to his mom, he said, well, give me two good reasons why I should get up and go to church today. She said, number one, you're over 40. Number two, you're the pastor. (laughs) It's like the guy who said, sometimes I feel that the whole world is against me. But then he stopped and said, no, I take that back. There are a few countries that are neutral. (laughs) Today, we're going to conclude the series of messages so I can begin preaching on the Advent season, preparing our hearts for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. This series of messages began some time ago, fear deceives, but grace frees you up. And here we find our hero, Jacob, now named Israel, at an old age, and he's feeling that the whole world is against him, truly. And he says so in Genesis 42, 36. I want you to turn that with me because that's a a one-verse message today. Although there's a lot of explanation I'm going to get into. Genesis 42, 36. Jacob said to his sons, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon 
is no more, and you want to take Benjamin, here's the word, everything is against me. Everything is against me. There were no small neutral countries. All, everything. Nobody loves me, this I know. My adversities tell me so. In the last message, we left Jacob, changed name Israel. We have left him calling his family to surrender the idols and begin to worship the true God alone, calling him to repentance. Many, many years later, after that incident, the 12 sons have grown up, and many of them have become fathers and parents themselves. Jacob's love of his life, Rachel, gave him only two sons. The others came from elsewhere. (laughs) These were Joseph and Benjamin. Those are Rachel's boys. Joseph became Jacob's favorite son, and he made no bones about it. It was his favorite son, and he was blatant about it. Parents, be very careful. Don't make that mistake. He made him a designer robe and a specially fitted robe with all kinds of color. He favored him so openly that all of his siblings were absolutely bitter and jealous and resented Joseph. This provoked jealousy on the part of the stepbrothers, caused them not only to be so bitter toward him, to the point, but they, they, they wanted actually to kill him. Most of you know the story, but listen carefully. <laughs> well, they want to kill him. That was their original plan. But then his brother Reuben, the eldest, kind of intervened, and he said, you know, let's not kill him. Let's put him in this dry well. And the Bible said he was crying out because he was 17 years old, and he was crying for his brothers not to send him down in that empty pit into that empty well. But they did it. Reuben was thinking that he would come back and get him and and rescue him. But he went away and came back, and he found that the brothers already said, you know, instead of killing him, let's make some money in the process. So they sold him to a trading group, Ishmaelites, who were in the trading business, taking goods back and forth from uh, in the Middle East. So they take him into Egypt. They sell him into slavery. Meanwhile, the boys go and lie to their father. They take that robe off him. They dip it in a goat's blood, and they go to the father and lie to him. They said, a ferocious animal killed your favorite son, Joseph. Jacob, now Israel, never, never, never recovered from the pain of thinking that his favorite son is dead. Now, beloved, I, I, I know that you have seen it, and, and some of you may even experienced it, but I watched my older brother, who's 19 years older than me, was 19, oldest, 19 years older than me, who lost his son in a car accident in Nashville, Tennessee. I've watched my older brother never recover. But the amazing thing was that because God was with Joseph, whether he was in the pit or the slavery of Potiphar's house or being falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar or being in the jail in the dungeon of Egypt, 
God was with him, and he was successful. And he becomes the second most powerful man probably in the world because Egypt was the superpower of the world at that time. Fast forward a few more years, he's now an adult, he's a, he's a fully grown man, and then there's a famine that struck the land of Canaan where Jacob and his boys were living. And he looks at his boys, he said, we are dying here. I heard that there's grain in Egypt, you better go down there and buy us some grain. So they go to the second most powerful man in Egypt. They did not recognize him, that he's a little, little yeah, kid brother whom they threw out. He's now an adult. He's a man. He's, he's fully grown. He's speaking Egyptian. But he also was probably walking like an Egyptian. <laughs> they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize that he is no other than that kid brother whom they resented and hated and got rid of. Let me summarize the story because it would take too long to read it. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them immediately. They did not recognize him. And then he began to speak Egyptian because he understood Hebrew so he can understand what they're saying. But they didn't. It's never clear to me in the Scripture, at least this is my personal opinion, it's not clear why did Joseph toy with his brothers for so long? And, and, and you know, he puts the silver in the, in, in the grain, and they go in there, and they open it, and then they go home, and then they, go, they, they finally found the, the, the money there, and he toyed with them a couple of times. He goes, but they go back and forth, and finally he said to them, if you're telling me the truth, and you still have a brother named Benjamin, I want you to bring him over here for me to see him. Oh, dear old Jacob. I mean, he hears that this powerful man in Egypt, not realizing, of course, it's his own son Joseph, is demanding to see Benjamin. And he sees his whole world collapses around him. And he said, you have deprived me of the children. I think he meant to say, you have deprived me of my favorite children. At that moment in Jacob's life, he begins to feel sorry for himself. Have you ever been there? Some of you might be there now. Take heart. Now, let's be honest about this. We, we, we sympathize with Jacob. We really do. I do. Because in times of discouragement and in times of deep anguish and in times of fear and desperation, in times of depression, it is very easy to only imagine the worst. Am I telling the truth? It is very easy to get into what Spurgeon used to say, and he suffered from that himself, this long, deep tunnel that is so dark. You know what I'm talking about. When you think you're going to see a light at the end of the tunnel, it turns out to be a train. You would only know this if you've been there. Take heart. Some of the great and mighty men and women of God in the Bible have been there. And they overcame, and you can overcome too. Amen? Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, 
She was so in deep anguish, and she got into this tunnel that she couldn't even eat. Elijah, whom I'm going to come back to in a little while, after a great victory on Mount Carmel, he goes and runs over a hundred miles to Mount Horeb, and there he puts his knees between his he puts his head between his knees and said, "Okay, there is nothing to live for." Moses cried out to God. He said, "Blot me out of your sight." I love the modeling that the prophet Haggai gives us in those moments and our experiences and the circumstances that we go through. Habakkuk really modeled to us what we should do in the times of trouble. And here's what he said. He said, there is no crop, there is no harvest. All is dead. The sheep, all is dead. Nothing left. Verse 18, here's what he said, yet. Can you say yet? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will delight myself in the God of my salvation. Amen belongs here. Let's be realistic, okay? While Jacob was wrong when he said everything against me, we know that now in hindsight. But don't ever make the mistake of undermining that we have three very powerful enemies that are constantly conspire against us. And so when you say everything's against me, you are justified. <laughs> the Bible calls these the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're constantly conspiring, constantly working over time to get us down. But don't ever forget, don't ever forget that in all things, not just in some things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. What does that mean? <laughs> I have hear people glibly quote this verse from Scripture, really glibly. What does it mean? Does it mean we enjoy pain? Does, does it mean we, we just don't hurt? Of course not. Does it mean that we ignore the fact that the three mighty powers, the world, the flesh, and the devil, are constantly working to, against us, constantly fighting us, constantly trying to get us down? No. Listen to me, please. Pain is pain. Hurt is hurt. Suffering is suffering. And while these three enemies are constantly conspiring uh, to get us down, God is busy turning them around, turning them around, turning them around for the good of His children, for our ultimate benefit. Joseph in the pit, in part of his house, false accusations, and in the dungeon. These are very painful experiences, and he admits it so. Look at those three very quickly, very quickly. I'm not going to dwell on them. The world. Now, beloved, listen to me. If you cannot see that this world system is working over time to destroy the believers in Jesus, you are living in another planet. You really are. Well, God bless you. If that's where you want to stay, that's all right. 
Just a couple of weeks ago, I put on my social media a story, a true story from England. Two weeks ago, it happened. A Christian math teacher in a school in England was suspended. His crime, he had 12-year-old children in his classroom. Two of them were girls were sitting together working on mathematical problems together, and they got it right. And all he said, well done, girls. One of them said, I might be a girl, but inside I feel I'm a boy. And she complained, and her parents complained. And the school, the school suspended the teacher. I said, if you, don't, if, if you don't see how the world, the flesh, and the devil conspiring to get the believers down, you're on another planet. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said in John 15, 19, because you do not belong to the world, the world hates you. Let me tell you something. If the world ever loves me, I start worrying. I really would. What about the flesh? Well, there's not the tissues and the blood and, and the skin and, 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 and that makes up a, a human body. No, no, no. That's all the Bible called the flesh. He calls the flesh is our earthly nature, our fallen nature with which we are born before Christ comes to dwell in us. Beloved, if it were not for the grace of God, we are utterly disposed to sin and rebellion against God. Don't ever forget that. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. No matter how wonderful you may think you are, <laughs> it's only the grace of God that saved you. Joseph's brothers were totally controlled by their sinful nature. And they wanted to destroy their young brother. The third enemy that works against us all the time is the devil. The fallen demons. They're constantly working against us. Especially if they can recruit the flesh and the world and get them united together. Here's something I want to share with you, but I want to make very clear. You know, I always say, if it's an opinion, if it's something not in the Scripture, I am very careful to tell you what's an opinion or what's a guess and what is the Word of God, because one day I'm going to be giving an account for every idle word I speak. So I am extremely careful. I may go overboard about it, but that's fine. It's a guess on my part. The devil does not know the future, right? Amen? He does not know the future. The devil knows because he heard those promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. The devil knew the promise of God that the Messiah will be born through the line of Jacob. He knew that much. But he did not know which one of Jacob's sons is going to be the one through whom the Messiah line will, 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 will come. But when Joseph was favored by his dad, it's my, again, again, I keep emphasizing it's my guess, when he was favored by, by, by his dad, the devil probably thought, it's Joseph. It's Joseph for whom the line of the Messiah will, will, will come. 
as I said, I'm guessing here, because you can see how the devil was so relentless in trying to persecute and kill Joseph, uh, to corrupt him, and to whatever it takes to get Joseph out of the way, because he probably thought that's the line from which the Messiah will come. And the devil had these ten boys under, in his pocket, as it were. So he used them and their jealousies to destroy, try to, to try to destroy Joseph. You notice I said to try? See, the devil might try. He won't succeed. I often, you often hear me say, we read the last chapter and we know we win. Circumstances could not have been worse for Joseph. Could not have been worse. But God, say that with me, but God. Come on, say it with enthusiasm, let the devil hear it. He turned them for good and saved the ancestors, physical ancestors of Jesus. As I said, we know now what the devil did not know then, that the Messiah was not going to be born from the line of Joseph. He's going to be born through the line of Judah. The devil never knew or even suspected this. <laughs> the devil would never have guessed that the secular, sensual man, <laughs> Judah, is going to be the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wouldn't have guessed it. Not until you go to Genesis 49, 10, when Jacob was passing the blessings on all the ten children, and he says to Judah, the scepter will not depart from you. And the devil said, oh, how stupid I can be. I was going after the wrong guy. <laughs> Beloved, like Jacob, we are opposed by three powerful enemies. But I plead with you, don't do what J Jacob did. Don't do what Jacob did. Jacob had forgotten the one who appeared to him in Bethel and said to him, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham and Isaac. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Listen to me. It is having a God like this who turns opposition into opportunity who turns sadness into gladness, who turns trouble into triumph, who turns pain into gain, is our God. It's not that we're not going to face these enemies. No, no, we will face them. We will face them. You start to do something worthwhile for God, and He'll go after you. We'll face them. But our problem starts, and I'm going to testify to you in a minute personally, our problem starts when we forget how great our God is. Every time I get into trouble is when I look at my circumstances, and I look at the attack, and I look at the things that happen, and then I forget how powerful my God is. I get into trouble every time. The Bible tells us of an amazing, amazing story. I want to share it with you in 2 Kings chapter 6. After the prophet Elijah was taken up to heaven, the one who succeeded him, a man by the name of Elisha. And the prophet Elisha was there at the time when Israel and the Arameans were warring against each other. 
And the Arameans, which modern-day Syria, they were so powerful, they were so strong. The, the Aramean were, 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 were more capable of literally defeating Israel in no time at all, except for one thing. God was revealing to Elisha the secret strategy of the king of the Arameans with his general. Every time they have a meeting of the National Security Council, God says, Elisha, here's what they're going to do. And Elisha goes and tells the king of Syria. Uh, the king of Israel, excuse me. He goes to tell, tell the king of Israel. And they foiled their plan again and again and again. The next morning, Elisha's servant goes out the house, presumably going to draw water. And there he saw the awesome, powerful Aramean army surrounding them. And he runs back to Elisha. Now, here's a use of translation. Don't find it in your Bible. Here's what he said. We are dead in the water, boss. We have had it, boss. We are done for, boss. We're finished. We've had it. Elisha calms him down, and he says, don't panic. Those who are with us are more than the ones against us. And I can imagine that guy looking at Elijah. What is that we, white man? <laughs> you know, remember that old episode from Tonto? And they say, well, what are you talking about? Who is the we? With, who, who, is we, who, we who, who is who are with us? Have you seen these guys? Have you seen their weapons? Have you seen their horses? Have you seen their number? At that moment, Elisha looks up to heaven and says, Lord, open the eyes of your servant. And God opens the spiritual eyes of Elisha's servant. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he becomes so stunned that he was babbling. When he saw these chariots of fire from heaven surrounding the mountains of Israel, you see, we have, we've ceased to believe in the mighty God. We lean on our strategies and our clever techniques and our plans, and we cease to believe in the mighty God, a God of the chariots of fire. He becomes so overcome at seeing the power of God's chariots of fire and that moment, God struck the Arameans with blindness. And then they took them straight out and handed them to the Israeli, to, to Israel's king. Beloved, what is the thing that's frightening you the most? What is the thing that is getting you down all the time? What is the thing that, 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 that's surrounding you that, that you feel so defeated is it the world with all of its temptation and entrapments? Is it the flesh with its lust? Is it the devil with his malicious hatred? Sure, we all face them. But you can't stop here. Don't stop here. We know they are there. We know they are after us. We know that they're always in opposition continuously to the faithful children of the living God. We know that. But don't stop there and stop singing, everything is against me. 
Nobody loves me. This I know. My adversities tell me so. No, 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 no. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Shout it out. Open my eyes, Lord. Shout it out. To see the chariots of fire, to see the power of God, to see the mercy of God, to see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Beloved, the Bible said, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Say it with me. He who is Shout it so the devil can hear it. He Praise God. Far from the perception that Joseph is no more. Joseph is the second highest man in the land, if not in the world. Uh, far from Simeon uh, being no more, he is actually enjoying the hospitality of Joseph. And far from Benjamin going to be taken to die, but he's going to join the party in Pharaoh's palace. Who knows? He maybe start walking like an Egyptian too. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. You say, but Michael, I can't see them. It doesn't matter whether you see them or not. They are there. <laughs> Listen to the Word of God in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. How many of those? All things. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future or any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what you need to remind yourself when the enemy goes after you, which is continuous. Well, somebody here might say, well, I still, I might not have sang the song, Michael, but I still feel everything is against me, and I feel that I'm standing alone. I'm all alone. I'm carrying the burden alone. In my book, If God is in Control, Why Is My Life Such a Mess? I describe this condition as the Elijah Syndrome. And you're going to read there, I said, you know what? It's okay occasionally to get into the Elijah syndrome as long as you don't stay there. Elijah, my goodness, he experienced the power of God. He experienced the triumph and the victory over the enemies of God in such a way that even later, the half-brother of Jesus, James, in the New Testament, he holds him up as an example of a prayer of faith. He was like us with all of his weaknesses. We see how he ran. We see how he hide. He confronted King Ahab. 
He confronted the prophets of Baal. He confronted the enemies of God. And God honored him by miraculously sending fire from heaven that licked everything inside, including the water. And God did so and so many things in, 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 in miraculous way for Elijah to, to, to affirm his prophetic calling. God did this to strengthen Elijah's hand before all of the people. I can truly say that in the whole of Old Testament, there are very few greater victory stories than Elijah's. And you would expect that this triumphal euphoria would be so exhilarating for Elijah to carry him for the rest of his life. But alas, he fell victim to the spirit of discouragement. And so he goes to Mount of Horeb, and he sings, Nobody loves me, this I know, for Jezebel told me so. In 1 King 19.10, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They have broken down your altars. They have put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Everything is against me. No one loves me. Listen to what God said. I love the Lord responding to Elijah. He said, yet. Say yet with me, okay? This is a very important subjunctive. Yet. I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. And their mouths never kissed him. Beloved, I want to tell you this as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. Don't walk down to the Lord's table just because it's something we do a couple of, ta- a couple of times a month. And, no, no, I, I pray that this will be a power walk. It will be a power walk. One of the reasons the enemy likes to convic- convic- convince us that we are the only one standing. I'm the only honest one. I'm the only ethical one. I'm the only one who uh, has not fallen for immorality. And, and I'm the only one who's standing for the truth. Nobody else. Well, number one, it's not true. Look at the millions of people who are literally being persecuted for standing for the truth and dying for the truth. That's not true. But this ploy on the part of the devil has a purpose in it. So you come to a point and he's tempting you after you decide that you're all alone, he said, why bother? Why don't you join them? Hello. It's easier to go along with the flow, isn't it? When in Rome, that's where all the culture's going. Why do you have to stand up? Why do you have to fight it? You're all alone. You say, I'm tired of standing alone. I'm tired of continuing to honor God. I'm the only one. No. No, you're not. When you're tempted to think that everything is against you, I want you to stop 
and say to yourself, this is not true. Say it with me. This is not true. God is for me. And if God is for me, I pity anyone who stands against me. Jesus loves me, this I know. Forward then to battle go. Amen and amen and amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, let those words that we've heard with our outward ears dig deep into our psyche, into our hearts and our wills and our desires. And, and Father, I pray that you will strengthen us with the power of your Holy Spirit like we've never been strengthened before. Because, Father, we know the darker it gets outside, the brighter your faithful children are going to shine. For I pray for everyone at the sound of my voice. Father God, polish our testimony. Uh, strengthen our weak knees and lift us up so that we may lift up Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Stand up and sing to the Lord.